This week's Up Zones Live is brought to you by Horizon Books, serving Seattle's book-loving community for 48 years with one of the best collections of used books in the region. Mention Up Zones at the register for a 10% discount today. That's right, a 10% discount. Our sponsor and host is Horizon Books, and this is Up Zones Live. You have to elect yourself, Jamie. Things are changing. Things are changing. You can't say it, but you know it's true. You elect yourself. Things are changing. You elect yourself. You elect yourself. When we started doing this about a year ago, um, I always really had in my head this idea that I would that we that we would produce enough episodes and get enough of a crowd and 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 start to become enough a part of the community that we could do a live show. And in my head, I would have new mayor elect Durkin on. That was sort of the way I thought about things. Uh, and over the life of the show that we've done, which is about one and a quarter seasons now so far, we've really seen how vital the community artist is to civic life and how space is occupied here, which is really the central premise of the show. So when the opportunity came around because of a Capitol Hill art walk to do a live episode, we said, oh, hell yes, let's do it. And uh, I shuffled some stuff around and we got some amazing guests. So uh, you'll hear today our first ever live recording of the UpZones podcast, uh, which does also explain why it runs a little long, because the conversation was pretty free-flowing. But we had some great guests. We had Henry, the muralist, Ryan Henry Ward, who you, you must know if you know anything about wall space in Seattle, because he has over 250 murals in the city. And I, I just, I was like a fan, man, talking to him. He's He's a special part of, of my Seattle experience, having been one of the first public artists that I experienced here. So that was just freaking great. And uh, Randy Engstrom, who's the director of the Office of Arts and Culture for the City of Seattle, he really is right at the hub of it all. And he had a lot to say. Uh, I enjoyed listening to him. He actually really breaks it down pretty well. I, I didn't realize that we had that kind of talent in the city government around the arts. And so I'm really encouraged for what comes next. And, uh, at last we had, he came straight from work. It's pretty funny. You know, uh, Messiah Jenkins, uh, young, talented rapper heads up the Konami rap collective here in the city. Um, and, and he had some interesting perspectives too. He was also funny as hell, um, brought a little bit of levity to the, to the proceedings. So yeah, I, I won't go on and on. I think the I think the conversation should speak for itself. So without further ado, Henry, Randy, Messiah. Hey 
So everyone, this is an experiment that we're doing. I actually am Ian Martinez. I do these interviews every Thursday evening in that back room. And we've had really interesting guests on so far. We've got uh, two and then Messiah will join later. So we'll have three really interesting guests today. So thank you for joining. Uh, you know, we're just going to start talking now. And really, there'll be an opportunity. I'm going to interview the guests a little bit, and there'll be an opportunity for you to ask questions as well if you have any. I know a few folks are uh, will be filtering in because I made my friends come to the show. So, and you'll see that we've never done this before. We've never had an audience. So this is the experiment. So thank you for being part of the the very intimate group that is uh, launching this for us. And hopefully, we'll be able to do more of these in the future with your support. So, are we good? Yep, just having some radio issues. I'm right back to you. There we go. The NSA is listening. Um, Too many phones. <laughs> so our first uh, first guest, I want to introduce you to Henry Ryan Henry Ward, who you may know as the most famous muralist in Seattle, I would say, and uh, really a voice and a, a visual representation of the city. You can't drive ten blocks without seeing your work. Well, it's good to be here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And uh, Randy. Um, Director of the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture. Thank you for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Please give him a round of applause. For um, so, as you know, on, on UpZones, we just really like to talk about you know what brought you to the place that you're in. Whether you know we talk, we speak with civic leaders and artists all the time. And so, you know, Henry, I'll I'll just start with you. What is it about your experience of Seattle that led you to become the the muralist that, that you are and to to choose to move into that space? Um, I actually moved into Seattle like really intentionally with the mindset of I want to start a professional art career. When was that? Uh, 2008. Okay. And so I was, um, or 2007 is when I really was like looking at how I was going to do this. And I have lived in the Pacific Northwest for most of my life, just on the outskirts of Seattle Bellingham to Enumclaw to different parts of Pierce County and stuff but I had lived in Bellingham for about 12 years and kind of found that it wasn't really a place that um, where I could really live the vision that I wanted which was uh, um, making a living as an artist was kind of um, what it boiled down mm -hmm. to. Not enough people to buy your art. Yeah. 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 Yeah exactly and I, I mean I was able to sell stuff up there but it just wasn't like oh I'm going to be able to like you know, create a life with this. And I was kind of at a place in my life where that's what I wanted was like, I want to only do art and I'll do whatever it takes to only do that. And so I kind of moved into, I got a show in uh, Fremont, um, a gallery show. And uh, right after I got that, I bought a truck and camper and moved into Seattle and just said, I'm not paying rent anymore. Mm. I'm not um, playing that game. And uh, I just kind of used all my minimalist philosophies and skills and made it work and yeah. kind of created it from uh, ground zero, I guess. Right on. Randy, I mean, it sounds like that's a pretty familiar story. A lot of folks want to come here to test out whether it's in the arts and theater, uh, visual arts, music. Um, how is that changing now that as a city, you know, kind of collectively gentrifies but also just densifies as well? So that's a good question. I, uh, I moved here in 95. I grew up in Chicago, um, and I moved out here to go to college, the Evergreen State College. Go Gooey Ducks. 
Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I fell in love with Seattle and the Northwest in general and Seattle specifically because it was um, the only sort of urban center I'd ever been to that hadn't yet decided what it was going to be. And so it was, it, anything was still possible mm -hmm. um, in good and bad ways. Uh, and, and it's really strange that in the, in the six years I've been in this job, I've seen the most accelerated uh, version of all of our best and worst hopes and fears sort of happen all concurrently. You know, I, I, I fell in love with this place for the same reason a lot of people fall in love with this place, that Mount Rainier was the first mountain I ever saw in my life because there's no mountains in the Midwest. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> and, and that, like, this is a place where people came to invent things, whether it's, like, airplanes or desktop computers or online retail or expensive coffee drinks or, like, to reimagine the music industry, like, three different times. Like, we've... we've this place is a place where people come to try things that have never been tried. And I think in spite of its economic challenges, it's still a place that does that. And I think that it is hopefully through the lens of that like unapologetic creativity and imagination that we can find a way to retain a cultural identity against the forces of global capitalism and like horrifying environmental change. Okay, fair enough. That's uh, not, not to bring it global, but, yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, I was, I was having a conversation um, before I came up here with another um, department director at the city where, you know, it's a, it's a grind like to, to try to figure out these real world challenges against pretty complicated odds uh, in this moment in Seattle, particularly if you like come from community, if, if what you're really about is, um, is the values that you want to drive this place. Like that's not an easy value proposition. And he, he was saying, like, how do you stay optimistic? And I was like, if we can't do this in this place at this time with with this set of conditions, looking at what's happening around us in the in the country, in the world, what a, like how else are we going to do this? I think about um, there's a writer named Adrian Marie Brown who wrote a book called Creative Strategies, one of the most important books I've read in the last two years. And I saw her speak on a, on a panel in Detroit last year, and she said, we're in a war of imagination and we're losing. And the imagination is like the, the unapologetic belief that we can be better than we are now, that things can be better than they are now. But if we, if we surrender to like fear and chaos and racism and nationalism and all the conditions that are pushing on us from the outside or sometimes from the inside, um, you know, I, I, I feel like we are the last best hope that we have geographically generationally culturally environmentally and and i and i i think that artists and creatives are are the torchbearers of that moment couldn't agree more uh, henry i mean i heard two words um values and imagination yeah those are the two things that really stuck out to me. yeah so i'm curious for you you have a very distinctive style yeah um it is it speaks kind of to uh, in the conversations we've had uh, it speaks to that. I can. See, I was like, "Oh, this guy did that painting for, for sure." What kind of values do you bring to your uh, style, to your work, especially when you're doing public work? Yeah, that's um, actually imagination is probably the biggest um, thing for me. I uh, um, I didn't go to Evergreen, but I went to Fairhaven, and they're very similar. Evergreen of the North. Yeah, it's Evergreen <laughs> of the North, and um, so I I kind of developed my own degree and in a very um, uh, a very hot pocket of political ideas and um, uh, where we are deconstructing all sorts of things and um, uh, 
you know, studying ecofeminism and different things like that while like exploring our creativity. And so I really put some thought into a lot of thought into my direction as what I wanted to like really do in this world. And, um, I think when we look at the world and what we're supposed to do, we look at like where inside ourselves, what we feel like the world needs the most and what our best gift is and where those like, um, two ideas kind of crosshairs, like really like, you know, what is a good place for us. And, um, so I think that the, at that time, this was 20 years ago, I saw a real decrease in like art curriculum, music curriculum, and you could see it in the architecture. You could see it like just the world cranking over into this like, um, really non-imaginative, uh, world that was just seemed kind of destructive, you know, to the world in general. And it really made me think about what imagination is and, um, like, I kind of see imagination as a muscle. If you can't imagine the world better than it is, if you can't first perceive what the world is, how it is, and then have the imagination to view the world differently, then you can't create it differently. And so, like, that one core thing, that um, imagination, and it's that is not being encouraged in our world in our curriculum and people are losing it I I guess I realized that's that's where I'm at that's what I want to do is help create a world where imagination is celebrated where it's encouraged you know like a five-year-old walking down the street looking at public art can get something out of it and go oh wow there's a big walrus on a bicycle and their imagination starts working you know and um or continues working and is encouraged and they know the adults in their community are like saying yes this is like mm -hmm. what we want to share with you and what and we believe in you and we believe in this aspect of you that's great and how does that manifest tactically like when you're actually doing the work what, what is how is that pouring <clears throat> excuse me how is that pouring into the, the, the work that you do um, I, I guess I put a lot of that thought into it like how is you know, a child going to perceive this. Mm. And when I'm creating the work, I'm thinking about like the, pu I'm a public artist. So I think about the public and, um, and what the impact of the work's having on them. And so like, I'm, you know, for me, I'm very, I guess the physical aspect of it is I'm available. Like I'm out there, I'm um, open to talking to people. I'm open to meeting people and like, you know, kids come up and I stop what I'm doing and I talk to them and I engage with them and I, uh, you know, give them some stickers or pins or trinkets or something. And I just want them to like, and not just kids, but adults too, because I think it's all of our roles to like build this like um, imagination muscle because like that's how we envision a better world than what we live. And if we don't have that muscle as a society, we're not going to, we're just going to always take what's given to us and let that kind of combine of, uh, monotonous destruction takeover. The outside forces that Randy was talking yeah. about. Well, that's interesting, Randy. What Right now, what is the state of public art in Seattle? Are you seeing, I guess it's a two-part question, right? So the, it, how is the city investing in it? And then mm -hmm. secondarily, what are you seeing just organically happening in the city right now? Well, to, to, to riff off Henry's point, I mean, I think that the way we build our communities, the way we physically build our spaces is 
um, an articulation of what we value as a city, as a place. And I, I, I appreciate that Seattle was the second city in the country to create a 1% for art ordinance in the United States, where we said that every, every dollar of capital construction that goes into building a road or a fire station or a police station or a sewer line, we're gonna put 1% of that dollar into a fund to create public art. And we have over 500 permanently cited commissions. We have over 3,000 pieces in the, permanent, in the, temp, in the uh, portable works collection. And I think what, where, where it's going is that um, public art as a field is about 40, 40 to 50 years old. Um, and it's been about like permanence. And, and I think the challenge of that is that it feels a little bit like you're trying to capture a, a moment or a city in amber and the world is a much more dynamic place. So now it's not just about permanence. It's not, it's, it's permanent work, it's temporary work, and it's momentary work. And it's about challenging the assumption of who gets to tell their story and whose story gets reflected in the public realm. I, I will say that like, as a director of an arts agency that's been investing in this city for almost 50 years, um, it- You look good for your age. Hey, you know, it's all about a lot of coffee. <laughs> um, uh, I have not been running it for 50 years. Right, <laughs> time lapse. Um, but I, but I think I mean our agency has put hundreds of millions of dollars into this community, and that's amazing. And also that has privileged some stories over others, some cultures over others, some art forms over others. And so I think we have a moment where we get to challenge that and say like, there's a whole lot of stories that we haven't heard. There's a whole lot of expressions that we haven't experienced. And we will all be better as a city. We'll all be better as a community if more of those stories are available and accessible. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about particularly artists that work in, um, in, in more like temporary or less generational mediums like what Henry does is there you get to have that interaction, right? It's dope that we have Hammering Man down by the Seattle Art Museum and the history of that project. And the fact that it's turned off every day at Labor Day is a really interesting like story of the sort of industrial history of this city. And we also, like no one will ever hang out with the person that made Hammering Man probably because they're not out there making their work, but people like Henry are. And there are tons of artists like on their hustle who are interacting with this city at like granular and grand levels all the time and how we bring that artistic practice and that creative experience into our daily life, I think um, eliminates some of the rarefied way in which art can be seen. There's a lot of like perceived or real barriers around artistic participation that I think are a huge challenge. Uh, and I think are sort of artificial constructs, but I think the the amazing thing about public art, the amazing thing about like when you see an object or a piece or an experience in space is that you get to experience that in whatever way you want to, whatever way it, it resonates with you as an individual. And there's no construct that can tell you, you have to experience it this way. So when you see one of Henry's pieces, when you see Hammering Man, when you see whatever, like any, any uh, festival or performance or event or piece of art like out in public, you get to experience that on your term at that human scale. And human scale is part of what gets lost when we're all like sort of <laughs> widgets in a machine of uh, of like city uh, utility, right? Like when we're all moving on our phones and our cars on our transit and, and we don't take the time to interact with the permeability of civic life. You mentioned momentary art. Can you, I mean, I, I don't know what that is. I don't know if my audience really knows what that is. Can you talk a little bit about it? A performance. It? Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I mean, it could be, it could be like the moment where a muralist is painting art, like a Soto track just had another um, round of its work. And for like a couple of weekends, there was dozens of muralists, you know, on the Soto busway creating art in real time. And you could like 
walk up and talk to them or watch them or see them. And that was the thing that was happening. Or it could be momentary, like a festival, like a festival that celebrates the culture and identity of a neighborhood or a community or a discipline or a, or a genre. Right. Who are your favorite artists that are working right now? In the city? In the city, yeah. <clears throat> and I've got so many, but... Uh, You're going to make some enemies. You might as well just yeah. get it out. <laughs> I'm glad you asked him first. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of graffiti artists that I like. Like, um, I really like Blink. Um, uh, just this, like, crazy itch of a creature to put his sticker on every possible surface. man, And also does epic um, hand style and writing and stuff like that. And uh, they drift um, a collaborative uh, muralist team that um, I just think they like skill level or like light years beyond anyone else in the city mm -hmm. um, as far as using imagination and then also having that like super epic fine art skill with it. And like I'm constantly like looking at their work on how can I do that you know <laughs> like I want to like uh, I look up to them and want to be um, they drift yeah okay yeah I'll have to put that post that up on the yeah on the site yeah so I want to ask you a question about graffiti and this is not the traditional like right. but, but I've seen tags go over murals yeah and I imagine that there's a, a, a yeah. bit of contentiousness about right. that issue how do you how did that get resolved um I guess a relationship with the city you know like it's uh um First of all, if you have a lot of murals in a city, which I do, you have to have the expectation that um, things are going to happen to them, you know. And uh, it actually, like, I think graffiti shows that the city's alive and excited, and um, there's people that, like, are young and excited and want to communicate. I mean, that's how yeah. they communicated uh, political dissent in Rome, right? Yeah. That's the tradition, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 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 So it's clearly a sign of, of right. a vibrant community. Right. Yeah. And so, like, when I see it, it's not so much like, oh, man, that guy just, like, wrecked my stuff. I mean, I'm, I don't really, like, I'm not super happy about it, but I also kind of see it in the bigger context of what it is. And, um, and that a lot of times, like, a mural of mine will get hit and I'll, like, it'll give me a chance to fix it, spend some time with it and make mm -hmm. it new and kind of bring it, uh, you know, maybe it's like 10 years old and fading and um, someone scribbles on it or whatever. And uh, that's kind of a sign to me that, you know, oh, I do need to put a little more work into this. Or, um, you know, maybe I've had a little bit too much negative space, you know, available. Yeah. And some of it's just flat out, like, making me grow as a person because, like, um, you know, they'll just destroy a mural that took a ton of time to do, and like, uh, you know, it's like a full day of work to like, um, at, you know, uh, fix or something. And it's like, why'd you have to go over that super detailed hair on the buffalo, dude? You know, like, <laughs> I mean, there was all this other space you could have like got, and your stuff would have stood out even more. Like that would not have been as like, fun for the. Yeah. Yeah. For the graffiti artist. Yeah, but they would have got more out of it. It was just like, you know, <laughs> no one could read their name, you know, like I figured out who it was, but it was so muddled in the hair design that I was like, man, you just, all you did was make me work, which is. Study kinda, composition. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Uh, use a contrasting color. Or, I don't know, like, you know, like, 
tagged like brown with tan and expected I don't know <laughs> um, and you think about it like 10 years ago I'd get so upset and like and then I'd like realize it's like a 14 year old kid or something you know it's like well you know that 14 year old kid isn't just like you know sitting at home playing video games or something he's like going and somehow getting spray paint and um, somehow being able to get out at 3 a.m. And, uh, you know, so they're very resourceful individuals. And uh, I've just decided, like, in my life to, like, engage in that culture and be part of it and participate and, and play along rather than, like, resist. Mm-hmm. Um, I just can't, even, like, if I was, like, super resistant and this and that, it would just, like, it, it would just make it so inviting for them to destroy right. my stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, this guy hates this, but like, you know, there is kind of a um, pull the cat by the tail thing, you know. Yeah. And um, but at the same time, it is like you know, uh, I admire it. You know, I admire the tenacity of uh, the younger culture, and um, yeah. I encourage like anyone that's out there trying to make a voice for themselves and have a medium where they can do that even if they're just communicating to their friends out there but uh you know i also try to encourage people to like think about who they're what they're causing and what they're you know or did you just like i i'd say go after mcdonald's or something you know like or go after like (laughs) wells fargo and um you know like if you're gonna like destroy things maybe like focus on the things that you have like some political disagreements with or um and so pushing it more towards that like why are you painting over an artist's art like why don't you use that voice and so it's like but if you're not in it if you're not in that culture you can't have that dialogue and create that that's right fair but, enough actually randy that that's a question i have for you is it, it raises the question of i don't want to say youth art i don't just want to say necessarily like art through schools but kind of younger artists let's go from teen years into you know well into early adulthood but what is the city's kind of uh, philosophy right now about uh, making sure youth artists are being focused and featured and, and put out well so uh henry was mentioning that like 20 years ago welcome to yeah, everyone this is messiah jenkins hey, making an guys. entrance as only an mc can please right. give it up for messiah oh, yeah. Working artists. We'll we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Henry was talking about when, uh, like, twenty years ago, when you saw arts being pulled out of the public school curriculum, and that's a true thing. In the in so Seattle had one of the best arts education curriculums in the country as a school district into the late nineteen seventies, and because because of a double levy failure and then the rise of Reaganomics, the decision to disinvest in primary and secondary education in this country, arts education was sort of systemically removed from public mm-hmm. education in this country between the, say, the early 90s and the early 2000s. And unless you had a, a private school or a PTA that could raise money, you didn't have art classes, by and large, at least in this city. And you, we did a bunch of research. So we got a grant from the Wallace Foundation in 2007 as a, as a city to partner with the school district and, and explore how we could bring arts education back to Seattle Public Schools. And then over a period of time with a lot of research and a lot of interventions, we cre- launched this program called The Creative Advantage uh, in 2012, which has now brought arts education back to 63 of the 102 Seattle Public Schools mm. so far. And I mean, so as a, as a sort of policy intervention, like are we, do we value art and creativity in kids' lives? One. We know that creative economy is the 
third largest and fastest growing segment of the national economy in this country. And we know that you can predict who has access to arts education by race and family income and home language. Mm -hmm. So if we care about those things as a city uh, with our values, then then the evidence is clear. Um, and at, at the same time, we realize that if we want to be a city that uh, continues to thrive for the next 50 or 100 years, we're going to have to really embrace creativity uh, and risk taking as a, as a civic place. Mm -hmm. When it comes to how we center the voice of young people, that's a more complicated question. I think um, I'm with like, my background comes from sort of graffiti and hip hop and, and DJ culture like th that I, I'm an arts administrator of a local arts agency, but I don't come from a large institutional uh, MFA sort of background. And so um, for me, I have a I have a lot of the same resonance with what Henry was talking about with when you see people putting their name up on the wall, like that's a lot about like finding voice and finding agency. And we live in a country that has sort of had open warfare on young people for the better part of my life. Mm -hmm. um, young people have been criminalized and, and, uh, and marginalized for a long time. And there isn't a lot of space for them to have agency and to speak their truth to the, to the surroundings that they're, that they're dealing with. So I think that, I think that's changing. Um, and I think it depends on your viewpoint. It depends on, 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 where you're entering that conversation. But I think there's a lot of, and I've always found that young people have a more sort of clear and salient view of the world than the more um, cynical or corrupt of the, of, the, of the people of now my generation um, or older. And so, you know, I, I have a lot of hope because I see like Youth Speaks and Feast and, and youth arts organizations across mm -hmm. the city mm -hmm. producing really incredible work and incredible stories and speaking truth to power. I also think that when we talked earlier about the economic pressures on, on creatives, that is at least at least as significant, if not twice as significant for young people. Right. right? Like they don't have the economic mobility that, that like people with jobs and careers have. So right. they're even more vulnerable to you know, young people in our school district are likely to be pushed out of the city they grew up in. That's right. Because they can't afford to live here because so many people are moving here. Right. Um, and I don't hate the people that are moving here. That's It's not on them that that's happening. Yeah, but... it's happening. It's a reality. Actually, I'm curious, Messiah, I'm glad you were able to make it. And, mm -hmm. and what your experience was is so uh, emblematic of you are coming from work yeah. <laughs> you're like you're like on your hustle right now right. And so as as not only a rapper but a producer you know konami is like people know about it and yeah. i mean how are you as a younger artist uh you know you're not on like mtv right now so right. how are you finding is mtv the, still a thing i i that's how yeah. i'm showing my like music videos yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever whatever the kids are watching actually you are on youtube and that's that's kind that's of no, the kids right. are but, but how are you finding the space to like balance your you know you gotta have to get that money but you also have to really invest right. and pre-invest in your art and 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 the producer yeah that's a big deal you know trying to find the balance between work and you know the dreams that you want to go and pursuing all that but um what i've done and kind of took the leadership role of konami and you know sending that text to everyone and you know are you going to be able to make it to the studio tonight and are you going to be able to work this week or what, what's going on with your schedule just trying to get out there and you know know everyone's schedule like that you know that's one part of it um the balance and whatnot but uh <clears throat> other than that um, just trying to connect with other seattle artists that are in the same position as me because you know there are a lot of people that are in the same position as me. And that's one of my issues is that, you know, some people don't want to work with other people because they don't want to reach their hand out and ask for help. Mm -hmm. But, um, 
you know, there's other people that are, you know, are on MTV, like you just said, you know, there are people that have made it from Seattle that, you know, aren't that were in the same position as me, you know, I've watched them grow and I've watched them make it. So, you know, that kind of helps me with, you know, Mm-hmm. taking the same step as um, You know, we, one of the things we talked about earlier is just the economic pressures that the city is changing. Um, and, and so I'm, I put this out to the whole group. It seems like if there's more people, there would be more demand for art. And there right. might be different kinds, right? But the paradox is that when there's more people, especially with the housing problems that we have, there's less space for mm-hmm. artists to live and artists generally speaking, with a few exceptions, don't make much money. Right. So how is that impacting, and I'd love to hear from you, Randy, about the what you're seeing in the city, but also from two artists, how that paradox is affecting your, your work. Right, so more people is gonna lead to, like you said, you know, you would think it would lead to, lead to more demand, but I think what I think it leads to is more, um, like, just different viewpoints on, on you know, different, taste of music Mm -hmm. so you know they might not like exactly what i'm saying but you know with all that different population coming in it's going to bring out different tastes and you know hopefully that'll push artists to you know expand their boundaries and you know not just work on their one specific audience but you know more people more audience broaden your view that's how i look at it what do you think yeah i uh i often think about um uh relocating and just like don't do it no i just well i think about i think about a lot of things and like um i probably won't i'm in love with seattle but um uh i i am just curious about what if i did what i did in a smaller city what that would what kind of impact that would have or if i did it in like la what kind of impact that would have for me like we're not really in a big city we're in like a a medium city and that's kind of like a, a nice balance for that i think um, where you still can, you know, launch yourself as an artist into a, a, a bigger realm, um, which you might not be able to do if you're, like, I know artists that uh, live in towns of 5,000 or something, and they just, like, really struggle getting known, and, you know, like, um, so much of, like, what we do as artists is interact with other people and interact with other artists and interact with just human being you know that more that um uh more i think people that you have to interact with and share with what you do that like does build a community but around your work but at the same time there's a ton of other artists doing the same thing and it um it's it's i think hard for artists in big swimming pools to feel noticed and recognized yeah you know um so it's kind of i guess there's a duality there right like if you lived in, you know, Bellingham and painted like 50 murals there, you would be like in everybody's face. But like I've done like <laughs> 250 murals in Seattle and like I run into people all the time that have never seen my work, you know, or have no idea. Like, ooh, what? You know? Yeah. Um, so it's like, yeah. Yeah. Randy, how do you think the city's managing this? Like on the whole, in the aggregate? <clears throat> I'd answer that three ways. One is we live in a city where a new person moves here every nine minutes and we build a new unit of housing every eight hours. That's been happening for about three years. So there's there's a there's a supply and demand reality of like physical space, which that which and I mean, and we need going back to that, like imagination concept, we need to like 
think more broadly and more ambitiously about how we create space for human beings in this city and human beings across the stratosphere of, of human and lived experience. The second is that in a city where there are three different billionaires with their own space exploration companies, <laughs> the challenge is not resources, right? Like the idea that there are not enough resources, there's not enough money, is is a false narrative there is enough money there are enough people there's enough capacity here it is again that imagination issue mm -hmm. i think the challenge for people in positions like mine who are advocates for the creative community is to get bigger than than the season the show the piece the moment and and realize the transformational opportunity we have as a city because the third point is where the hell else are we going to go <laughs> like yeah i could go to uh, Petersburg, Alaska, where my wife's father's from, like, cool. You know, I'm, I'm sure that we'll outlast climate change a little bit longer. I'm sure I could, we could afford to live. We could make all the art we want. I, I could go to LA or New York and just wish for the best. Um, I don't know that they're doing anything a lot more innovative than we are. Like most cities are chasing the same tail that every other city's yeah, chasing. Yeah. Like until someone stands up and says, we're going to break the wheel, we're going to stop the, 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 retreading the same failed strategies of how we've built cities and communities for 150 years in this country until we decide we're just going to be unapologetically bold with how we want to be as a place. I don't know where you run to. You know, I read a book called Bomb the Suburbs when I was in college written by Billy Wimsett by Upsky. And that book changed my life because it helped me realize we there is a point of diminishing returns where we can't run away from the failed policy choices we've made as a community until we start backing into our other failed policy choices. Right. You know what I mean? Like, we at some point we've got to just decide we're going to make it better. We're going to do it differently. We're going to reimagine what is possible for us. We have that choice. We have. We still have that window in the city. That window gets a little smaller all the time. Yeah. But I think we can still do it. Bomb the suburbs. If you haven't read it, it's um, and and bomb is a bit of a. It's tagging, it's not a, it, yeah, explosive. Yeah, it's, it's a graffiti reference, which brings us full circle to the first part of our conversation. But uh, it, uh, I agree that really changed my perspective when I first read that book uh, about ten years ago or so. Um, and it's probably for sale. Somewhere here. For five dollars. If you're gonna find it, it's in this book. In Horizon Books, it's probably here, um, and I won't send you anywhere else for that. Um, yeah. So just one thing I would ask the whole panel, just maybe in a circle, is what what is it that's motivating you to not only get up and do art, but to 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 get up and do art in Seattle? What is it about this city that's kind of keeps you going? Well, <clears throat> my perspective on that is, in Seattle, you have all the you know. In Atlanta, there's pretty much like a, a set sound for hip hop music, at least. And, you know, the East Coast has their sound. And it's like, well, what do rappers sound like in Seattle? And there is no, you know, set answer for that. There's no particular Seattle sound. And and I think having that, um, like that diverse, you know, spectrum of, you know, being able to rap and like what I can sound like and what I can do, that definitely has helped me progress and, you know, keep trying to you know, do music in Seattle and whatnot. But um, I literally like, you know, making beats. I like, you know, writing raps. I like hearing the same song, song over and over again and then coming up with whatever I want to say to it. And, you know, though, though that actually is pretty soothing to me. So that's one of the reasons why, at least. All right. Just on, there's no like predisposition. You can just kind of be who you want to be here. Is that? Of course. Yeah. yeah. That's one. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty much the main. Right on. 
Henry, what do you think? Well, I didn't grow up in the city. I um, grew up rurally, but um, I had a big fascination towards Seattle. I grew up an hour outside of Seattle, so um, I would drive into the city, and I think I enjoyed Seattle on a completely different level, you know, um, than someone maybe who was uh, raised here because it was so like, this place is crazy, you know, and um, I just like, it's weird watching all these old places that I had like, you know, these um, uh, real strong relationships with as a teenager, like go away and become like, you know, Amazon land or whatever. Um, <laughs> like the hurricane for example yeah like i used to go in there and you know uh you know drop acid and smoke cigarettes all night and, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. that's the acid crowd yeah there. Hey guys. <laughs> where have you been <laughs> <laughs> but i just have all these like deeply kind of ingrained places that I had relationships with, with and now I'm living here and watching these places go away mm. and some of them staying and um, uh, and new people coming into the city and uh, um, I just am finding it fascinating I'm actually finding it like the new people coming in I really enjoy like there's a lot of like progressive minded people moving into our city it's not just like we're being taken over by some just like nasty conservative mob or something like um, you know, like there's a lot of cool people moving in that are really thoughtful and interesting. And, um, uh, so it's, um, and, and from all over the world, you know, we're getting people from, you know, all over the Middle East and all over Asia and, um, Africa and, um, you know, uh, people from all over the world moving into our city and, um, they, for the majority happen to be very progressive people. Um, it's unfortunate that it's mostly majority men moving in um, and that balance is kind of um, I think throwing the shift off a bit in our city um, I'd like to see it more balanced I'd like to men. see more women on this panel yeah for one yeah well, you have control of that Ian <laughs> yeah. no there was a, I will tell you there is a, a black female lit crawl tonight and like every black female artist in seattle is at that thing so <laughs> That's uh, fair. we'll get them next time i yeah. promise but uh yeah so randy just to to circle that out what is it that kind of keeps you going inspires you from an artistic perspective about seattle uh the <clears throat> first and most honest answer is i have a three-year-old daughter well she'll be three next week mm -hmm. um and she's gonna grow up in this city she's gonna go to these public schools she's gonna Live, grow up and live in this art community. Mm -hmm. She has already been growing up and living in this art community, um, and that that is my anchor and my compass. I um, I think that sort of to the point of that I that I believe that it's not too late. I still think that we have you know you were you were saying Messiah about um, that Seattle sound can be any sound right. and like when I was in college I was doing hip hop shows with Black Anger and Source of Labor and 99th Attribute. And now up to like uh, the sound of like Moni and uh, and and dissatisfaction and you know and Cat and Staz and like that like there is such a range of sound there's such an openness and such a possibility to do anything. Um, this place is not constrained by what anywhere else thinks it needs to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, even like at a mercenary level, I love the hurricane. It was the first place I ever went and got terrible food late at night mm -hmm. when I moved to Seattle in the mid '90s. 
Um, the like, corned beef and hash is, was yeah, really... It was like a chili cheeseburger. It was a terrible decision. But like, but whatever. It was an experience I'll never forget. It was my, the first night I ever spent in Seattle. And um, it was like even the fact that a, that a corporation that started off as an online book retailer built like six blocks of downtown Seattle. Like they're building a million square feet per year for five years. That's like an unfathomable amount of urban development to do anything. And I'm not pro or con, I guess I'm more con Amazon, but like, I'm not like, I'm not here to like, it's not about shade on them. It's just about like what an impossible thing to imagine that was when I was eating that shitty cheeseburger, you know, in the early nineties and, and to imagine what that neighborhood would become. And, and not, like nothing is, nothing is impossible here yet, I right. think. And I, you know, compared to like growing up in Chicago, to your point about like, the South is the South and, and Chicago, Chicago and LA is LA and New York's New York. And like, they're pretty set in, in who and how they're going to be and what their sound right. and cultural identity is. I'm not sure that's fully baked here. I uh, think there's still room to welcome the voices of those new folks to imagine like a progressive, different vision of a city. And, and to be real, like as a, as a department director, six years into this grind as the second longest serving department director in city government, sure. which I don't know if that's scary or good, that's just the thing. <laughs> but um, I, I'm, a, I'm like super in deep in three sub cabinets around the future of work, affordability, livability, and good government. The arts office of this city is, is super influential in the policy of a six and a half billion dollar, 13,000 per person bureaucracy in one of the fastest growing cities in the world. And like, that's interesting to me. I don't know that that means we're going to solve it. I don't know that that means we have the answer, but I think that's really promising that this city as a civic instrument sees artists and sees creativity and sees culture as a, as a necessary tool to imagine where we're going to go and try to find our way out of the woods. I think it's also promising that the director of the arts office likes art as much as you do. Well, so I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Um, my question really also, once again, just to the panel is how can folks plug in listeners and folks in the room, you know, how can they plug into what you're doing? Um, I guess keep your eyes open. You know, <laughs> Don't um, close your eyes. Like, I'll give you like there was this guy I met who um, uh, said he'd never seen my murals. And then I asked him where he lived and he said Ballard. And I said, well, have you ever been down 8th Avenue? And he was like, yeah, I ride my bike down that every day. And I was like, I literally have six murals. And, the only, and those are the only Never murals noticed. on that like, road. And you're on your bike. You're not even in a car, you know. Like, um, And it just kind of blew me away that, like, a lot of people just, you know, aren't paying attention to what's going on around them. Yeah. And so, and I think that's the way to plug in with all the arts and with all the um um, with the music scene and with the art scene is to be aware and pay attention, you know, like, um, look around, listen, um, keep your ears open, your eyes open. And I think, um, you know, there's the, uh, um, uh, social media outlets and stuff like that, but like, you don't even need that. You could throw your phone in the, um, uh, Puget Sound and never touch it again. And you can be completely plugged in with the art and music scene just by, <laughs> walking around and talking to people like people used to do you know like it's like a um a way to do it yeah um it's harder than it sounds yeah these yeah. days yeah yeah and um you know we really have become like the moth and lamp thing with our phones you know and um and there is a lot there's a whole vast universe in there and i'm addicted as hell um personally to it um i am definitely mothed out on the thing 
but um, you know, I also remember not being, and I remember that uh, uh, that that is a way to engage in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm consciously like working on leaving my phone in the car all day while I'm working or while I'm out. I'm gonna go out and do this thing. I'm gonna leave my phone in the car and I'm gonna go like look at people and I'm gonna interact with people and I'm gonna feel intuitively their like you know a relationship with my community and um and uh i think that's kind of the best way to do it is um and that's how i find the art that i really love is by walking around and looking you know right on. and the music too like you talk to a friend what are you doing you know oh, i'm going to the show oh, let me go i've never heard of this musician i'd like to check it out you know and be open to new things well speaking of musicians messiah how can people plug into what you're doing I was going to say, that, that answer was very metaphorical. Um, mine is very straightforward. You can check me out on YouTube. Messiah <laughs> 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 Jenkins is very straightforward. Um, yeah, but I do have a, a website, um, kunami.com, and that is the name of my collective. It, it's not a racial slur, I promise. Um, it, it's all good. And um, But that's where you can check out the music, the videos, um, blog posts, merchandise. Um, I brought some shirts with me today. So. Nice. But yeah, I'm all over the web, um, iTunes and Spotify and all that good stuff. So, Great. Randy, how can folks plug into the broader kind of uh, arts community in Seattle? The short version is if you care about art and music and culture in your city, go experience it. Spend money on it. Spend money mm -hmm. on local artists. If you don't have money, go to Art Walk. Go to the Capitol Hill Art Blitz, walk I think it's tonight. called. Yeah, yeah, walk around tonight. Go to Art Attack in Georgetown. Go, like... There is so much work being produced in this city. And if you put your phone down for as long as you can and you go experience his art or his art or, you know, I mean, like there is so much being produced here. Put your money where your mouth is. If it's something you value, then articulate that through transactional means. And I think about something that uh, Kevin Sir said. He's one of the guys that runs Artist Home. They do uh, Dobe Fest and Timber and really, really lovely local promoters, producers. Uh, I was on a panel with him at KEXP a couple months ago and someone asked like, how do I, how do we get booked at your shows? How do we get, be successful as touring musicians? And he's like, every show you play, when the other bands are up, go stand at the front of the room. Don't wait in the back. Don't be mm. too cool for school. Like, mm -hmm. go go support the other artists mm -hmm. and go be part of that community because it is a community. You know, one of the things I heard, uh, uh, we had some theater folks on the show recently and they said pay what you can is often perceived as an excuse to pay the amount they list or less but if you have the privilege to pay more pay what you can actually means keep going so if it's five or pay what you can pay ten if you got it and that's that was their kind of feedback which mm -hmm. I'm hearing echoed in kind of what you're saying yeah. just get in there invest your time your money find something you like if you care value it also like when you get to a paywall on whatever media writer subscription you have pay the paywall because writers don't write for free like it's like like uh, the the work these gentlemen put into their practice goes back hundreds and hundreds of hours and and you know dozens of years and like it th it's work and it has value and it should be sort of uh, appreciated and and articulated for that that's great. And you actually, I don't know that you even meant to do it, but we do end every show with a segment. Say, he did it. Yeah, he right? did it. Right? Uh, if you, Spend money on art. Uh, you know, we say, if you care about, you should. So fill in the blanks. I didn't mean to bury the <laughs> This is totally off subject, but um, 
It's just been on my mind. If you care about the earth, take off your feet and walk around on it. All right. I earth from time or to take time. Take off your shoes, not your feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a deep metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> take off your feet. Float over the earth from the acid crowd oh, in the yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> I love those guys. <laughs> um, no, just like oh, um, engage, you know. I mean, that's kind of like I'm using like metaphors again, but like uh, engage in your experience. Like if you go to a music show, like, you know, get up in the crowd, get up, you know, um, um, and really like engage with the musician. Um, if you're going to an art show, strike up a conversation with the artist at the art walk. Um, uh, you know, if you want to experience the Puget Sound, get a swimsuit on and jump in the dang thing every once in a while. Or don't. You know, or don't. Just yeah. jump in. Yeah, or just jump. <laughs> just yeah. jump in naked, yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah, fully clothed, naked, whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, or paint it or sit by it, smell it, whatever. Like, you know like engage and experience because this is like um this is your life you know yeah all right what do you think messiah if you care about (laughs) if you you care about music seattle hip-hop sounds in your ears you need to check out messiah jenkins (laughs) (laughs) kunami.com as well as all the other Seattle hip hop artists because you know they're not bound to just sounding like one they all sound different and I, I really think that that's what sets Seattle apart from a lot of other cities right on Henry thank you so much yeah. appreciate it yeah, Messiah thank you of course Randy player all right thanks a lot everyone have a wonderful night so this is um we have five minutes left if you have any questions maybe like one or two you're is that okay guys is that that all right does anyone have any questions yeah so randy you talked about kind of like the need for more housing uh, and i love the idea that seattle's story is kind of yet to be written there's so much potential um but all the the new housing that comes up kind of looks boxy and all a bit the same and it doesn't feel all that like imaginative um how can we make as the city grows and build more housing, how can we have that housing be imaginative and beautiful and like full of potential? Well, I'm not an urban planner by trade, um, but I think some of it, it I mean, the, the reason that we have the housing stock we have is because of the rules, regulations, and environmental conditions that we have. Like um, New York has a lot of beautiful old buildings because New York doesn't have earthquakes. Um, and so like a lot of our old buildings weren't built to withstand earthquakes. And so Fixing them is actually more expensive than building new ones. So we tear them down and build new ones, but we say we love the environment, but tearing down old buildings is the worst thing you could do for the environment. So it's a, it's a complicated thing. I think it's, it's part of that imagination. Um, you know, I think like there are architecture firms like Olson Kundig who do projects here in the city and around the world that are pretty bold. Uh, those projects are more expensive to do. And most develop, yeah, I think developers that are from here develop like people like Liz Dunn uh, or Kevin Daniels, who are, who are of this city, who care about this city, who are building buildings in this city, care a lot more about what it looks and feels like with those projects. Development outfits from New York, Mexico City, China, and Russia don't actually care that much what the end product is as long as their numbers pencil. So I, I wonder um, how we could be imaginative with uh, steering the development market forces that are clearly here um, into doing more things that are what people want to see and do. 
figuring out how local control and influence can shape what design review we have a ton of process right as a city it's it's not for lack of hoops and process that people have to jump through in order to build a building we have like design review boards and environmental review boards and it, i mean if you've ever if you guys wouldn't, have, wouldn't you say though that that's sort of in the weeds that, like <laughs> some of those rules and regulations actually create the boxiness right because yeah so many different people fighting what you just settle we on. have a, we have an over-engineered system that's trying to prevent bad guys from doing bad things which makes good guys trying to do good things almost impossible for them to do anything there's no room for them to like if you called today to do a renovation on your house you'd wait four months for an appointment because developers have already booked up every appointment between now and then in case they have a, pro a project to come online. Like people have gamed the system and the system is designed to stop people who are gaming the system. And so like, we can't have nice things. So, uh, but you know, I, I think to me, local control is sort of the only real answer. It's a simple answer, but it's like, how do we let communities have more say in what happens in the, and I don't, I don't mean like NIMBY communities where they're like, no people that don't look like me or, you know, no buildings that divert from my architectural preference. I mean, like people who understand the cultural identity of a neighborhood and want to see it grow in a way that's responsible and responsive to the neighborhood. Any other questions? Yeah. Just talking about um, masonry buildings and preserving arts and just a couple blocks from here is the Knights of Columbus building that recently sold with two parking lots next door. Um, there's a beautiful ballroom in there. That's a space that could be used for ours. What would you all like to see in that space? There's been discussion about the showbox downtown. Plays into the same story. What do, you, what do you think we might be able to do with something like the Knights of Columbus Ballroom? Is there an arts organization that can make use of that space right on the, the bridge of Capitol Hill and First Street? You should have a mural on the wall mm -hmm. and hip hop shows every Friday. <laughs> and we and we connected the we connected Versatile Arts in Greenwood. That's a it's a aerial studio uh, circus arts uh, facility. They're getting priced out of their spot in Greenwood because capitalism is horrible. Um, and uh, and we were like, hey, here's a building, tall ceilings. You need that for trapeze. You need that for aerials. Like maybe they can be a tenant there. They're a for-profit market rate tenant that is willing to pay, and they do classes 12 hours a day. Um, they'd be a great tenant. But I think it's actually a mix of. You're right. It's all those things, right? It's like, yeah. Then do hip hop shows. Then also have like murals and visual art classes. We have to stop pretending like every building is a single-use building. Use your bookstore for podcasts. Right. Like we have to maximize. We have to maximize the space we have because space is at a premium and yeah. it's expensive. Yeah. And so, how do we get the most use out of every inch that we have? All right. Maybe one more. Last question. Uh, every couple hundred years, uh, the wealthiest person in the world's location moves, and uh, at the moment, it's Seattle. And it's been that way for either side of this millennial shift. Um, prior to that, New York City, London, you can go all the way back to the Medici's and Florence. And every couple hundred years when that shifts, whatever city it goes to gets a huge influx of art. Seattle, in writing its story, doesn't really seem to have landed that yet because they're focusing on philanthropy and technology. Do you think that there's a responsibility for that wealthiest in the world class to commit to art? And if so, where should they put their money? That's a tough one. Question. <laughs> That's a question. I think, I mean, well, I don't want to, please. 
I think it, part of that goes back to what I was saying earlier, where we live in a city with three billionaires with their own space exploration companies. Like, if if our our Medici is gonna have to aim way higher than like paintings or a museum. We already have a Fry Museum and a Seattle Art Museum and a Henry Art Gallery. Like, and those are all outstanding museums. And we like, I think if we're gonna capture the imagination of tech philanthropists who aren't Frank, well, some of them are tech are philanthropists. Some of them are just tech wealth. Um, if we're gonna capture their imagination and compete with their desire to colonize Mars or create commercial space travel, we're gonna have to have much more imaginative roles for arts and culture and the way that it will shape the world than uh, paintings in a museum. Um, and I think that's why like Henry's willingness to take art out to everyone 250 times in a city or Messiah's willingness to bring music everywhere and anywhere that's willing to hear it, that to me is a, a little bit more on the path of what is gonna capture the imagination of those folks. But I think that I, uh, I, that, that, I do the second person that's brought up that point of like, we are now the epicenter of wealth in the globe. Um, and that's a huge civic generational millennial responsibility. And if, yeah, and if we don't, if we don't like bring the gravity of the moment into the recognition of that opportunity, then I, I fear not just for us in the city and the arts, but like for the world, like we have to articulate the moment. If you had a, if you had a, a let's say Bezos and he was going to give you a hundred thousand dollars, what would you do with it? hundred thousand yeah. dollars? Ask him for like 500,000 more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> $500,000. What would you do with that money Man. for your art? For my art. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, for my art, it would go into like studio and building that studio. And then like, I would also want like a stage there. Like I'd want, the music to be built in one place, all this to be in one place, for the music to be built there, for it to be mastered there and mixed, and then for it to be performed there as well. Mm -hmm. And um, for that to be all self-sufficient and, you know, for, for people in my position that, you know, want to get my music out there, you know, I'm not on MTV like you said, but, you know, but well-known people like that in my position and on the rise for them, it'd be, I want it to be easy for them. I mm -hmm. want it to be, mm -hmm. you know, I want them to be able to come in and, you know, work hard because that's what they want to do. Great. Well, we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much uh, again to the guests. Thank you, everyone else. Appreciate it. Buy a book. That was Henry, Randy, and Messiah. I won't plug him with any URLs because you know where to find him. We've done enough of that. But seriously, go find him or die. Thanks to Brandon, uh, Trevor, and Naboo. Naboo especially for the sound work on this very challenging episode. Thanks to Anthony McPherson for his dope opening poetry sample. Thanks to Subcons for their music, which they provide all episode every week. This has been a Cascadia Underground production. I am your host, Ian Martinez. My favorite. We'll see you next week.